0: Hey everybody, you're listening to the Hope in Crisis podcast, where Tim Costello brings you intimate conversations with his inspiring friends from around the world during this difficult time of coronavirus. Our desire is that you would be filled with hope through these conversations to remain faithful and resilient during these unprecedented times. On this episode, Tim talks to John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister of Australia, sought-out commentator and much respected leader. The courage demanded of the Prime Minister of Australia at the moment is enormous. He can't run to the bridge and jump overboard the sinking ship. He has to stay there. And he does so with increasing surety of step and we should be uh, supporting him and admiring him for that.
1: Beginning your political career at the age of 32, you're a member of uh, Parliament for 18 years, Deputy Prime Minister and Leader of the National Party for six of those years. So uh, you know what it's like to lead under immense pressure at the highest levels of uh, Australian government. Maybe can you just start talking to us about what it must be like for the Prime Minister right now and his team as they lead through these terrible times of COVID-19?
0: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Good to be able to talk. And, you know, somebody once commented that we never stop complaining about uh, politicians and what we forget is... The big problem with politicians is that they're people. Yeah. They're just like you and me. Uh, many of them are, begin very well motivated. I'd have to say our culture has stripped out any understanding for a lot of them of where they're coming from and what they believe. I think that's a real problem because I think an MP should be somebody, particularly in the federal parliament, deeply grounded, if you like, in the Western canon and order to understand clearly the lessons of history, of what they believe, where they're trying to take the country, so that they're looking through a concrete lens, if you like, uh, uh, in terms of philosophical uh, uh, beliefs and frameworks, and can see where they want to get to. That way, you can argue individual policy issues on a firm foundation of understanding where it might take you. Why do I say that's important? Because, in its absence, what you get is what I think people actually despise. They mightn't call it this, but it's ad hocery and opportunism uh, and managerialism rather than philosophy and vision. But having said that, it's a really, really tough game. We've made it worse, we've turbocharged our ability to be selective, to be nasty, to cancel people that seems to be the modern language with uh, with social media we use it ruthlessly or at least small parts of the community use it ruthlessly uh, and uh, we don't know how to handle it it's a bit like the advent of the printing press in many ways it's a good thing ultimately i think will be seem to be a good thing in the short term it's making it harder i think the pressure must be immense and we ought to salute their willingness to do it and frankly their courage the courage demanded of the prime minister of australia at the moment is enormous He can't run to the bridge and jump overboard the sinking ship. He has to stay there. And he does so with increasing surety of step, and we should be uh, supporting him and admiring him for that.
1: Yeah, I absolutely hear you. The uh, um, work by our mutual friend Tim Dixon, where he analysed the tribes of America, uh, I was quite struck that he said when it comes to social media, there's about seven or eight percent hardline on the left, seven or eight percent hardline on the right, uh, setting the agenda, loving trolling and fighting. And between them, there's the exhausted middle people who actually are confused, who want consensus. Uh, do you think COVID 19 might be a moment for that exhausted middle to actually get a voice and for us to dial down? those extremes in social media?
0: I do hope so. Uh, I think only history, uh, you know, when we look back, will uh, tell us the answer to that. Uh, And we might come to this later in this conversation. One of the great problems of everybody being thrown back together in isolation with the people closest to them is that often being together shows that, in fact, we've drawn apart and we're having trouble. We know that. We know that already from the early research, and we can talk about that in a moment but we sure do need to pull the extremes out. As you say, I would say 70% of people are in the middle one way or another, and again, you can see that. Uh, those yes. who self-describe as left-wing in Australia are about a third of the population. Those who self-describe as, as right are about 17, but even within those groups, most people, as you say, you've got the fringes, most people are still civil, still prepared to talk. Yeah. What we've done, though, Jonathan Haidt sums this up beautifully, and as Christians we ought to understand this, in the loss of any reflection on ourselves and our true nature, and maybe that's partly, Tim, for a simple reason. None of us, well, very few of us go to church where we're regularly reminded that we ourselves are not perfect and we need to repent of our sins. We don't hear that anymore. So we've slipped away from an understanding that evil crosses every human heart somewhere into this, Appalling view that strikes at the very heart of our freedoms. That life is a battle between good people and bad people. So Tim, you're a bad person. I'm a good person. Yeah. In reality, as Eason would say, we're both a mixture.
1: Yeah. yeah, and I I totally agree with that, John. And when um, I think about a secular story, it's we are self-invented, not created. We have endless productivity to consume more. That's the purpose of our life rather than what I would say purposes that are deeper. And the aim is to be self-sufficient. What COVID-19 has taught us is we're not self-sufficient. We're utterly vulnerable. Uh, And Christian faith says created and dependent and humble and therefore drawing on each other's solidarity in these times, which is very different to the, uh, to the self-invented, self-sufficient story that uh, maybe has been triumphalistic and, uh, and too, too arrogant. I don't know how you react to that. Oh, I think that's absolutely right.
0: Pride, pride comes before a fall. You know, C.S. Lewis said pride lies at the heart of every human sin and every human failing. Pride prevents us from looking up and seeing someone greater than us, and it causes us to look down on those around us so we don't connect with our fellow human beings properly. Both, Both are death for our relational needs. I believe we're, we're created to be relational. We're hotwired to want relationship and to be in relationship, but pride is, I mean, that's the Genesis story, isn't it? Uh, yeah. we, we, we broke relationship yeah. with our creator who made us to enjoy him. Yeah. Glorify him and enjoy him. Uh, and we break relationship with one another. And, uh, you know, it breaks my heart when I, I tell you what, I one thing I notice is so many young people now, not enough yet, but so many young people, this is a Jordan Peterson thing, they go to hear him because he talks common sense, he talks relationships, and he confronts young people with a reality they know to be true. They need to front up to the, who they are first an empathy culture telling you, no, nothing's your fault. Everything you've done is all right. Don't feel bad about anything. None of us for a moment, if we self-reflect, except for, you know, the, you know um, real jerks uh, think they can get away with thinking they're perfect.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So I uh, was talking to an American friend in Washington, D.C. the other night, and um, I was quite struck. Uh, a black American Baptist minister saying, you know, in America, we've had uh, not just uh, political differences. It's moved to toxic hatred of the other. Democrats hating Republicans, Republicans hating Democrats. He was saying with the $2 package and the coming together of Congress to do that, it's the first time where we've actually said maybe this toxic hatred has to be put aside. Maybe we have to find that common ground. I found that helpful and hopeful, John.
0: Uh, Yeah, and and, you know, look, we look at America and we think they are so polarized, you're right. Uh, And John Dixon's work is brilliant. Um, uh, I'm on your podcast and if people wanna see what he's got to say, they can have a look at mine because I do one with him. And he draws all of this out, as I'm sure he's done for you. It's incredibly important to understand that we've got to the point that education we have to understand, doesn't solve these problems. You have a well-educated group of Democrats living in a wealthy suburb in America and a well-educated group of uh, Republicans living in another area. And the level of hostility and distrust and loathing is the same as it is between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Mm -hmm. And yet they're fellow Americans with more in common than they they have in differences. So this is really frightening stuff. A really good read on this is... uh, And he's an interesting guy. He himself would say he's right of centre, but his parents were both left of centre. And he poses a question, he said, do you think my parents didn't love me? Do you think I didn't love them? Do you think we weren't able to communicate? And he's written a book called Love Your Enemies. He spoke at this year's National Prayer Breakfast in front of Senator Pelosi, I understand, and President Bush. And he said, uh, you know, we simply have to rise above this and, and he talks about the John Gottman. He's a, he's a relational expert, apparently incredibly good on he and his wife on marriage relationships. He said, when you're still angry, you can at least talk, but when you combine anger with disgust, you get contempt. And when we start talking to one another with contempt, Tim, yeah. we really are in danger of losing everything. We are as damaged as the people who are treated with contempt.
1: Yeah. Let me uh, take it to some personal areas because uh, we're talking about hope in crisis in these podcasts. You've had had to overcome some very significant personal challenges in your own life to become the leader you are. Um, would you care to talk to us about how your faith has been a source of hope amidst crisis for you personally?
0: Yeah, look, this, uh, the upfront comment I'd make is that um, in times of crisis, and the psalmist reveals this, we feel emotionally bereft and shattered. Uh, And I think the thing I'd say is that a solid Christian grounding won't relieve you from those moments of emotional hurt and confusion uh, and dismay. Uh, There are times when the head has to be engaged and a solid belief that the Bible is true and that God does deliver helps me overcome those moments when I feel shattered and there have been quite a few of them. And the other very important aspect of that is that I think the biggest faith blocker today in this highly emotional age when we focus more, we actually confuse thinking and feeling, is probably the question of suffering, not so much science. Um, I think that one of the things we need to come to grips with is suffering. I've had to confront it. It presents you with three sides of a triangle, I think, I did in my life anyway when when my sister died and I went to a place that not many people that age do go to. My childhood ended abruptly. I had to think these things through. And the first aspect, I think, is this first side of the triangle is suffering. Why? Now, you have part of the answer in the story of the fall, the broken world. It's not complete. Why me? Or why that person? Why this way? Why this timing? We don't entirely know. What we do know uh, is that Christ himself knew immense suffering. That's the second part of the triangle. Does anybody understand? Yes, even Christ said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At a moment, he did not understand. Perfect man, perfect God. Uh, but what was the moment He's hanging on a cross in order that we can be forgiven. And then the third side of it, so someone does understand and so powerfully did he understand that he provides us with a, the opportunity to restore relationships, to move from darkness to light. And then the third side of the triangle is, is there hope? Yes, again, that comes from across. One day the pain will end. One day all this will make sense. My son's best man, when he got married, is a man who was struggling at that time and has recently died after an 11 and a half year struggle with acute, myeloid leukaemia. Terrible thing to watch. There was a massive, massive, massive funeral. Simon Manchester at Sydney spoke. There are other eulogies, including from a young man, a golden-haired young man, incredibly good at everything. Everybody loved him. Why? And we don't have the complete answer. But one day, I profoundly believe, we will look back and see God's greater purposes. And we know his greatest purpose is to draw us to himself, whether it's God's microphone, a megaphone, as C.S. Lewis put it, whatever. Whatever we can be sure, I'm sure of this, that his purpose is to draw us under him and bind up the wounds and restore us.
1: Yeah. Let me take you from that to saying COVID-19 is one of those moments of uh, why. There is no place that's not affected. And um, in my career with World Vision, I'd go to disaster places, terrible, man-made or tsunamis, But beyond the disaster, life was normal. The economy was uh, organised. You could organise donations and help. Now there is no place beyond that seems normal, John. This virus has gripped the whole world. Do you see out of, and it might be early to be asking this question, out of what we're experiencing here, anything positive that might come out of this?
0: Yeah, I do. I think there will be immense negatives, that already are, and not least of those will be how on earth we put our economies back together and do it in a fair way. Yeah. Because great sacrifices are being made here for people of yours and my age and older. Let's be honest about that. Yeah. And the people who are making the greatest sacrifices, it could be argued, are in fact younger people. Whether it's <laughs> their school and university being interrupted or they're the first off at work because they were the last on. Whether it's because they'll inherit the debts that have to be paid back with lower services and higher taxes, or the other problem, and this is a really big one, Tim. Without going into the complicated economics of it, because we didn't grapple properly with the GFC of eleven and twelve years ago, we've been printing money that normally produces inflation. We haven't had it right across the Western world. What we have had though is a rapid rise in asset prices. So the wealthier who have assets tend to be the older. They become wealthier. Younger people are saying, well, how do I get my hands on some assets? How do I get the family front door? said that half of school leavers today in Australia may never own their own home. That's not the Australia you and I grew up in. So we've got some major equity issues to work through. But to let, uh, I think Greg Sheridan wrote a brilliant article on this a couple of weekends ago. Uh, he said that um, we've destroyed our faith and our confidence in the institutions of Western society. It's been led largely by academia. In my view, academia has a lot to answer for. They've tended to want to throw out our cultural house without giving us an alternative to live in. It's, we don't like what we've got, we don't like our history, we won't teach it, or we'll reinterpret it, or we'll smash it. We don't like our institutions, but we haven't got anything better to offer you, which I think is very irresponsible. Show us the better way if there is one. We've got to restore confidence in the people who have the courage to step up and say they want to lead us. uh, Douglas Murray makes the point that we've made a powerful disincentives for good people to go into public life. We've got to address that. We've got to address that. And I said with your brother, you know, everyone knows that. You know, Peter is the man when you get to know him, as you know, put aside whether you agree with everything on him, a sort of economic policy or whatever, he's a man of enormous heart and integrity. will yeah. seek to make a difference. Now, you've got to look at people's motivation. So we've got to restore confidence in our institutions, because I think historically, they are capable of serving us well. I think our constitution is brilliant. I think the separation of the three levels of governance, if you like, separation of powers, so on and so forth, they're all brilliant stuff. And we need leaders of courage, and we need to be prepared to respect our leaders and the offices they hold again. If we can do that, that'll go a long way. But beyond that, if this causes people to say, for a moment, you know, I'm at home, I need to do some reading, I need to do some thinking, who am I? Am I really satisfied with the idea that I'm just a sophisticated monkey, um, you know, whose job is to accumulate toys that I can't take with me at the other end? Well, that would be a good thing.
1: In terms of... Um finishing is there something you'd say to listeners of how they themselves can be a powerful force for good in these challenging times the temptation is just to uh, watch a lot of netflix have another meal uh yeah we'll be on our whatsapp chats but is there something that we can actually do in these times that's constructive that's positive uh, well, I believe there really is,
0: and I think we have a responsibility to do it, to, to to say, well, let's not waste this time we've got together. And thinking I might have the opportunity, I could credit off something that I got from an American called Dr. Warren Farrell. Now, he's a remarkable fellow, I, one of the most wonderful men I've ever met. Him. Uh, and he said to me, I don't think he'd mind me quoting this, he said, you know, you know, he said, I'm a lefty on everything except family, where I'm a complete conservative. He said, you know, I'm, I'm known as America's leading feminist Um, I uh, am a climate change activist, I supported Hillary Clinton but on family, different story altogether. And he and John Gray, also from the left, have written an unbelievably important book called The Boy Crisis. And the numbers are now home on the damage that the disintegration of family has done Mm. to our children. He makes the point very powerfully, by the way, that boys are in deep crisis and we need to recognise that it's good that girls have been doing better. Here's an astonishing fact for you and your listeners. In 150 of America's biggest cities, or out of 150 biggest American cities, in 147 of those cities, girls in their 20s, up to the age of 30, I don't know what happens after that, uh, this is the research that was done, and uh, 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 are earning more now than the males. They've got the better jobs. You've got this incredible mm. number of young men dropping out. And he makes the point that if one sex is not doing well, neither sex is not doing as well as it should. But he said two very interesting things I'd just like to say. Uh, As the uh, virus rate uh, has, um, you know, picked up, the filings for divorce are also rising. Why? Families who are together often discover how far they are apart. And he makes two really powerful suggestions said, so if you've got kids particularly, and especially boys, and you've got this Gordian knot problem where they don't want to show emotions, but deep down, like all human beings, they're sensitive and they're deep. I yeah. they want to be understood. So, think carefully about at least one meal a week where you're going to be quite intentional. You want everybody to be there an hour, or everybody who can, hour, hour and a half, set it up properly. Who's going to prepare it? Who's going to set the table? Who's going to do what? Tell everyone around the table, that you want their views on on the thing that's top of mind of them at the moment, whether it's COVID or whether they go to university or don't go, whatever, Mm -hmm. and have a proper communications time when every member of the family can feel safe to open up. Mm -hmm. I reckon that's invaluable advice. But he said the second thing, I reckon this is worth, I've got got to read this, Tim, because I can't put it better. Second, he said, the catch-22 of communication. The Achilles heel of all humans is our inability to handle Personal criticism from a loved one, without becoming defensive. Love, love doesn't solve the problem because the more deeply we love, the more vulnerable we feel. Vulnerabilities mask is anger. To avoid anger, we walk on eggshells, and soon being together leads to leading to feeling apart. So I think those are the two things I'd say. It's a real tragedy to think the divorce applications are going up in this crisis. I just urge people wherever they can to use this opportunity to get close to their loved ones. And then beyond that, to do what you and I are doing use modern technology yeah. to have a good old yarn.
1: Yeah. Well, I've just uh, recorded a sermon for a church on Sunday, which will be on live. It's on Joseph. And at the end of his life, uh, he reconciles with his brothers who've betrayed them. And you see this sense of. Um, siblings that have done terrible things to each other they loved each other and they hurt each other actually uh forgiving yep. and reconciling and wouldn't that be a wonderful thing in the uh, covid covert 19 reset to say what is there for me to do given that these relationships are so deep and we love each other john i just want to say thank you so much and um in this time. Uh, we really appreciate your wisdom. Uh, stay safe and stay strong.
0: Well Tim, thank you. It's always a pleasure being with you and I wish you well
1: uh, and look forward to the day when we can have a literal cup of coffee. Absolutely. Thanks John.
0: Thank you for listening to Hope in Crisis. We're a new podcast, so we would really appreciate it if you would share this with your friends and leave us a rating and review whilst making sure you're subscribed to receive our future episodes. That would be great. Be blessed and we'll be back soon with our next inspiring conversation.